breaking news from the XJ Talk Show News Desk. Buildings are melting cars everywhere. Is yours next? Find out right after this. Hey, stud. It's time for the XJ Talk Show. Now, here's my two favorite boys, Tony and Josh. <laughs> hey, this is Tony from uh, the uh, XJ Talk Show. I almost messed up and said the wrong thing, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> It'll happen. And boy, I, I imagine tonight I'm going to have a few slip-ups. Well, as you can guess, I'm Josh from the XJ Talk Show and xjtalk.com. You can also find me as NW99XJ or Northwest99XJ. Yep, and I'm uh, <clears throat> Motoroy on xjtalk.com, also known as The Engineer, because I don't actually take my Jeep off-road. I just work on it all the time. <laughs> and Josh is the off-road guy, and I'm the engineering guy, apparently, from, from one of our call-ins. Hey, you'll get your uh, your time behind the seas soon enough. Yeah, well, if uh, you know, with Matt going off-road and then you heading off uh, this, uh, this past, uh, well, I don't say weekend, I guess long weekend, uh, going off-road, it just... Uh, makes me want to get out there even though i might bend something i don't like bending things josh i I just don't sorry guys if that's the the badge of honor that you guys like uh i i have just never got into the thing of i want to bend my rig yeah that's why i uh i've built my uh so-called 52 ton steering setup (laughs) 56 56 i'm gonna change it on you every time you say it oh by the way since you're tired i guess we should tell our uh youtube uh, live events viewers that tonight might be an excellent time to have that drinking game for every time Josh says Boughton. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm going to have a few slip-ups. I, I can guarantee it. I'm, I'm already uh, feeling it coming. So, uh, yeah, you guys will have a good time tonight. Well, if you like, I can talk longer. You can catch a couple of naps, you know, while, uh, <laughs> while I'm uh, reminiscing about, uh, you know, beating something up with a hammer on the, on the Jeep. But anyway, if you guys haven't been here before, uh, what we do is we talk about Jeeps. Uh, and I, we've, I often forget to mention, both Josh and I are Jeep Cherokee owners. So we do a Jeep Cherokee show uh, because we love our Cherokees. Sometimes we hate them. Most of the time we love them. It's a love-hate relationship. If you have one, you know what we're talking about. And uh, we are real Jeep people, uh, real Jeep owners, and uh, I believe it or not, I have been off-road in mine uh, on more than one occasion. Josh more so than, than me, uh, definitely. So uh, we've got a few things coming up tonight. Uh, we're going to have a little uh, uh, what Josh and, all, Josh and I call chit-chat, where we just kind of talk about what's going on uh, in our Jeep lives, uh, sometimes uh, just our lives in general. And uh, then we're going to have uh, some uh, voicemails that people have called in and uh, left for us. Uh, we really appreciate that uh, viewer involvement. And uh, then we're going to do a little uh, This Week in Jeep. We're uh, Jeep news that's uh, you know going on. It seems like there's a lot of uh, recall news. And there's also some uh, 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 off and on uh, Cherokee 2014 Cherokee news. I don't think we have any of that tonight. But uh, we've been following the 2014 Cherokee quite a bit and uh, uh, doing a lot of pissing and moaning about it. And we're going to have a, a quick interview with uh, Matt. Uh, he's in Colorado currently uh, in his 97 uh, XJ, and uh, we uh, recorded a quick interview right before the show. So we're going to have that, and uh, then we're going to finish up with some Jeep tips. Sounds like a jam-packed toe, Shoney. Uh, yeah, there we go. Jam-packed show, Tony. And <laughs> I'm sure we're going to have a great time tonight. Yep. 
Absolutely. We always do, as far as everybody knows. All right, Josh, let's get into it. Oh, boy, here we go. So as uh, Tony mentioned, I've been out at the Rubicon Trail. It's a world-renowned, phenomenal trail system down in uh, southern, well, not quite southern California, but down in California towards Nevada, just south of Lake Tahoe, about, what, three mile, uh, three hours or so outside of Sacramento. Last little bit of civilization as you head up the hill is a little town called Placerville. And, uh, well, I ended up uh, going in and in and out of there a few times uh, throughout the uh, throughout the week that I was there. Very interesting trip. Uh, started off with a bad omen, so to speak. Uh, we barely even made it out of the Portland metro area when we had a bearing seize up on the trailer. And uh, it was a smoke show on the freeway and a mad dash to the shoulder, uh, where luckily we had already met up with, uh, with another guy that was going down with us. He was right behind us and happened to pull in right behind us as well on the shoulder. And we were able to um, jack up the trailer with the Jeep still on it. And uh, not my Jeep. Uh, uh, folks, I, I didn't take my Jeep this trip. Uh, some things came up. And, and well, I just, uh, it was, it was best to, in my best intentions uh, to, to leave it at home. So anyways, uh, this Jeep uh, stayed on the trailer. We jacked up the trailer, got one of the wheels off to discover that the entire uh, hub bearing on the, on the trailer on that one axle had just completely disintegrated. So uh, it was a uh, you know shoot to the uh, to the smartphone and, and find out if there's a place local that can uh, that can take care of us, and uh, I stayed behind with the uh, with the vehicles and uh, the other, the rest of the team headed out and uh, within about two hours we had had a new bearing a new hub pressed into the into the new bearing pressed into the hub the hub back onto the onto the trailer the wheel back on and we were back on the road so um, it took us about 13 14 hours to get down there um, from my area up here in the northwest. And uh, we made good time, uh, only stopped a couple few times uh, for gas and for food, and uh, pulled into camp about midnight or so, and uh, set up camp real quick and had some chit-chat for a moment, and then it was straight off to bed and uh, because we had to get up the next morning quite early and hit the trail. Now, for those of you who don't know, usually the goal for the Rubicon is to get in deep enough to get a decent camp spot, and uh, our goal was to make it to Buck Lake. Um, we, uh, we set in, um, down uh, the ice house road. Um, that's where our base camp was, um, set off into, uh, the slabs where we, uh, it's just gigantic granite slab formations, which is just phenomenal. It's breathtaking. If you've never seen anything like that before and seeing it for the first time was kind of surreal, but, uh, we get there and, uh, a couple guys had some problems getting up past uh, gatekeeper. Um, and we, that was kind of like the, the main, the first main obstacle you hit on the trail. And, uh, as we came in through that, one guy almost got to the point of where he was, he was near that point of where if he went any further, there's a good chance he's, he's hitting that point where it could flop. And so it was, you know, quick dash, somebody got over onto the bumper and kind of held his corner down while he navigated up onto this obstacle. We made it out onto the slabs, and uh, the guy who I was with has an extremely built CJ7, uh, a custom Dana 60 in the rear, a, an extremely overbuilt 44 in the front, 37s around, um, Grizzly Locker in the rear, ARB up front. Uh, I mean, it's just it's caged up, it's armored up. Um, it, it's it's a very impressive vehicle, and very very capable. Well, he um, the, the the Dana 60 that he put in there is somewhat new. And, uh, and when he did that, he was going from a 44 to the 60 with a third member. And uh, the third member is a little bit shorter and has a smaller yoke, a shorter yoke than, um, than the 44 he had in there before. 
and uh, uh, this uh, this proposed uh, posed a problem with the with the drive line. Uh, the drive line he had in there was didn't have a whole lot of th- um, spline engagement on the slip. So when we climbed up this one shelf um, and started getting the back end completely drooped down, uh, it ended up being only about three quarters of an inch to an inch of spine engagement on the slip you know, or on the slip of the drive shaft. Well, he didn't know this at the time, which we then found out quite quickly when the entire drive line grenaded on us. Mm. It wasn't the U joints. That's something that you can repair fairly easy on the trail. No, this was this was a obviously a, a game ender. So it was. Uh, it was break out the tools, pull the drive line down. That's the one thing he didn't have a spare for. Yeah, well, actually, one of two things, but I'll get to that later. Uh, and uh, we we blimped our way back into town or back a, a, into camp. And uh, we had uh, we had a ham on on uh, on hand. Uh, one of our guys, we were six guys in our group, uh, and two CJs, a CJ five, a CJ seven, an LJ, a TJ, uh, an FJ cruiser. Uh, that guy was kind of kind of interesting to watch. Uh, and we had, um, a Cherokee there as well. So, uh, one of the guys with the, or the guy with the LJ is a ham operator. So we got a, uh, a telephone link set up and got a hold of a driveline shop down just outside of Placerville or Placerville, uh, whatever, and, uh, ADCO drivelines. Uh, so if you're ever on the Rubicon and you end up, um, having some driveline issues, that's the place to go. A guy named Ken there really took care of us, uh, really helped us out problem was is it took 24 hours for us to get a new driveline oh, no. so we uh we had no choice but to stay in camp well the issue was is that everybody else had all of our food had 90 percent of our camping gear um and we were left pretty much stranded um so it was um luckily enough we we had access to the emergency key to one of the guys' tow tow rigs which had a a camper top on the back of it so we spent the night in that um, with a makeshift dinner and uh, woke up the next morning with a makeshift breakfast, quickly got the drive shaft, got that put in, and we were back on the trail. Um, and this was this would be um, Thursday now, Thursday morning, or actually Thursday afternoon, about 1 o'clock, got back on the trail. Uh, made pretty good time, did a lot of the bypasses, and caught up with everybody just past um, uh, Buck Lake. And, uh, um, there's a dam there that, uh, that we passed everybody at. We continued up to, uh, I think old sluice or big sluice rather. We, uh, we continued up to big sluice, turned around, came back and then camped out at Buck, uh, Buck Lake, which was absolutely remarkable. Um, the area is just pristine and just absolutely surreal, beautiful. Uh, got a man. I managed to take a dip in the in the water there, which was well deserved after you know at this point three days of not seeing a shower and a lot of dust, and uh, and that that was great. Um, so many stars at night. You can see the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, I sat up on the dam that night for a little while, just kind of taking in the stars. the uh, The water was like glass, and all the stars were reflecting off the off the water. It was just absolutely surreal being there. It was it was awesome. I woke up the next morning and. Uh, uh, headed out bright and early, uh, went up to uh, True Big Old Sluice and Little Sluice and uh, uh, Walker Hill Soup Bowl. We had um, some issues. One of the guys broke a hub. Uh, we didn't have a, a repair or a replacement, so it was around lunchtime where we uh, uh, dismantled the hub and uh, and figured out. Uh, well, I'll go through this in our in our Jeep Tit segment of how we determined what was going on with the front end when we heard this loud snap. <laughs> and through a visual inspection, couldn't really tell what was going on. 
So, um, uh, another guy had a, a control arm got sheared off the, uh, the control arm mount got sheared off the axle. Uh, we had, uh, some exhaust leak issues because of that. Uh, I'll tell you guys how we, uh, how we dealt with that. Some emergency repairs on the trail and our Jeep tip segment later on. Uh, let's see what else. Um, we had a flop in the group, uh, and it was actually something kind of funny. Normally you think of a flop and you think, oh man, that's, that's some, that's some serious stuff. That's bad news. Well, he wasn't on an obstacle per se. It wasn't on a trail. In fact, it was on a rock. Um, he was climbing up on it for a, you know, photo op and got a little too far and reached that point, that fulcrum point where, you know, all it takes is for you to breathe wrong and the Jeep tips over. And that's what happened. He ended up flopping his Jeep for the sake of a photograph. So, uh, unfortunately that was in a part of the day that, that we were, uh, coming back from our excursion out and back. So, um, it was very interesting once the, uh, once we had a, um, a control arm break off, that was pretty much it for the, uh, for the trip. That was Friday and, uh, we managed to limp our way back, back to camp, sent the rest of the group ahead. Uh, and we ended up catching up to them about gatekeeper we, we were, I mean, I was hiking the whole rest of the Rubicon trail, just spotting the guys, making sure they can get through everything. We were, we were doing two miles an hour and with, uh, basically a, a three link setup in the front that really wasn't holding up very well, uh, and a drive line that was chewing away the exhaust and, and other things. Uh, you know, we were, we were, we were lucky to get out of there under our own power. So, the, so to speak. So, uh, we finally get back to camp, caught up with the people, uh, the rest of our group out at uh, gatekeeper. And, uh, um, they had some issues. One of the, uh, the guy with the Cherokee ended up getting stuck, having to get yanked, uh, bent up his tie rod pretty good. I uh, was not able to drive it back to camp. So he ended up grabbing his trailer and coming back. He at least got it to the staging area, um, which was, you know, good enough, so to speak. So, uh, but out of our six rigs, I think two managed to make it out of the trail unscathed. Uh, three made it out you know, under their own power, but everybody else pretty much got, uh, got some kind of carnage or another. So it was, uh, gotten, uh, got back into camp late Saturday night. Uh, just ended up trailering up the rigs, um, you know, pitching a quick tent and, and crashing and wake up the next morning and, and head out, uh, for our, what ended up being a 16 hour trip for me to get home from, uh, from the Rubicon. So it was very long, very long, long, long drive, a long day, Saturday night. I didn't get home until about two 30 this morning. And, uh, and I'm beat. I, I've got a screaming headache from the, 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 I don't know if it's atmospheric change or, or whatever. I mean, I was up, you know, fairly decent elevation for several days and now I'm, you know, back here in the Northwest where it's extremely humid. The air is a lot more thick and, uh, and I'm apparently having a hard time adjusting back. So I very much miss the Rubicon. I can't wait to go back. Um, and, uh, it's going to be a, an annual trip for me. Uh, but it's not, I'm not going to be able to go back until 2015 because next year is going to be Moab. So let me ask you this. I know that we, uh, we've done a lot of talking about, uh, some of the, uh, this weekend Jeep that you've reported on past shows and also too with, uh, the, uh, 2014, uh, Jeep Cherokee, uh, I guess Trailhawk, Trailhawk edition being out on the Rubicon, We've talked about the the Rubicon being basically a uh, a big mall parking lot now, so that anybody could drive on it. Uh, now you've actually been there. We've we've made those inferences, uh, tongue in cheek, of course, but uh, somewhat serious. Uh, what were the trails like? 
So very good question, Tony. Um, Little Sluice is a very, very popular destination point of the Rubicon Trail and is when a lot of people think of Rubicon, they think of Little Sluice. And this is a, um, I wouldn't call it a hill climb, but it is definitely a decent grade of elevation as you head up the trail. And it was, um, you have a sharp wall on your left side as you go up and some rolling granite formations on your right side. Uh, and so you're kind of, I wouldn't call it a V notch, but in sort of this inside this mini Canyon almost. And, uh, excuse me, it was, uh, I guess they did a lot of blasting, uh, on it here recently to clean it up, to adjust the trail for maintenance, whatever. And a lot of people were saying that it made it way too easy. Well, I guess over the last several months, things have kind of gotten chewed up and moved around and it's become quite more, uh, quite a bit more difficult now. And uh, it's gotten some of its reputation back. Now, with that, I saw a brand spanking new four-door Wrangler. I, I think, you know, I could still see the residue of the tape from the window sticker on it. It was so new. Uh, trying to go up Little Sluice. And this was a perfect demonstration of inexperienced driving and poor spotting. Uh, because he was getting put into these positions that I would personally never put another vehicle <coughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, I mean, especially uh, one that that really wasn't set up. Now he had some armor. He was locked up front and rear, and he probably had thirty twos. Um, but there was one particular line for his vehicle. There was one and an only one line that he should have been on, and they kept trying to take him over here and over there and everywhere he shouldn't have been, and end up finally backing this guy out um, after probably fifteen twenty minutes of just thrashing the underside <laughs> oh, of his rear. No. Um, to take a bypass. Now, was so, it was it a Rubicon? Did you see the Rubicon uh, emblems on the side? You know, I can't remember now. I remember. I, I think I snapped a couple pictures, and uh, um, but I can't remember exactly. One thing I, I did uh, did recall that was very interesting was the the rock rails that he had were sort of integrated into the Jeep. Um, it was very interesting. I've never quite seen anything like that other than, you know, full on rocker replacements, mm -hmm. which these sort of mirrored in a way. I thought for sure when he came down on a rock at one point in time, I thought for sure I was going to see the side of this Jeep cave in, uh, but it didn't, it held up. And so he had some sort of, maybe it was a factory option of some kind or another. I, I don't know, but it was the most low profile set of rocker um, of, of rock rails I have ever seen. And it, it, it mocked uh, full rocker replacements. So I can't imagine a Jeep that new having something like that done to it. Uh, but it very well could have. Uh, but it was very interesting to watch him and, and his group uh, head up through this. We ended up just walking right up through it, uh, no problem, because we apparently had more experience or, I, you know, I don't know what it was. Uh, we didn't have any problems with it. It was a very, very easy trail for the most part. Now, with that... Uh, the Cherokee ended up bypassing it because of the wheelbase. A little sluice definitely poses a problem to the longer wheelbases, uh, as does uh, the um, uh, big sluice. And a big sluice is sort of the big brother to little sluice. And that is you are in a canyon and it is nothing but rocks. And it is a very steep elevation change. And uh, it is known for taking out windshields, for taking out A-pillars or C-pillars, um, is known for taking out doors. Uh, and we, we played in there for probably the better half of Friday morning, Friday afternoon. It was um, extreme trail. Only two rigs attempted it. 
and both of which, well, one of which uh, suffered the, the hub break. Uh, the other one ended up um, getting beat up pretty good. And there was, there was winching involved all throughout, the, throughout the, the whole trip. A lot of winching, a lot of winching. So uh, how the 2014 Cherokee made it through all of this, I, was, I would imagine would be through most of the bypasses. Now, you can only bypass so much of the Rubicon. Um, there are places you have to wheel. Uh, it's plain and simply you have to hit the trail. There's no ands, or buts about it. The obstacles are there. You have to go over them. Uh, if you are locked and you have at least 32-inch tires and at least three to four inches of lift, you can probably make it through one end of the Rubicon to the other, bypassing as much as you possibly can. Uh, now, that's, in my mind, in my opinion, not really doing the Rubicon. And because of our, our setback, we didn't make it up to Observation Point or Cadillac Hill. We didn't even see Rubicon Springs, where the Jeeper Jamboree is held every year. So as far as we made it out with Big Sluice, that was approximately six miles in three days. So it gives you an idea of how long it takes to, to really run the Rubicon um, and, and how much preparation and skill and difficulty you know, goes into all this. Uh, it, is, it is a world-class trail. If I had to sum it up in two words, I'd call the Rubicon world-class. So I guess what you're saying is, is that uh, if, uh, if the 2014 Jeep Cherokee Trailhawk Edition uh, made any part of the Rubicon, then it is, uh, has to be pretty well uh, trail capable, trail rated capable. Skid plates, I would imagine, played a huge part of that Jeep making it through, making it through the trail. Uh, the, the rocks there are, are very unique. Uh, the kind of rock we have here in the Northwest is, is nothing like uh, what you see out in the Rubicon. And it's, it's jagged, it's rough, it, is, um, it, it, it grabs metal. When you have a skid plate underneath uh, and you drag it over some of these rocks, you are not just putting a scratch in it, you are leaving metal behind. And it is, um, it is very, very interesting rock to wheel on uh, because you can find slick spots where you'll have super-duper sandpaper-esque type of traction at one point, and all of a sudden you'll get to a, a point in the rock formation where it becomes smooth. Hmm. And you essentially lose traction you can slide. Um, it, it is by far probably some of the most technical wheeling I have ever experienced. Uh, we have some very technical trails up here in the Northwest, but this is on, a, on an entirely different kind of caliber. And it was um, very, very special to me to experience this because uh, it really opened my eyes to, to sort of what a vehicle needs to go through this kind of world-class trail system. Well, any of the experience that you, you had there, was there anything that, that pointed out to you what you want to do to your rig before you attempt it? Absolutely. Um, I think one of the biggest benefits or be benefiting factors is going to be, uh, one, preparation. Um, it, it, was, it was a joke uh, amongst, the, amongst our group. Um, some of the guys came in overpacked. Like, you know, holy cow, did yeah. you bring the whole garage and, and the whole refrigerator and, and everything else like this? That would be me. <laughs> I, you know, I'm the same. I'm, I'm kind of the same way. You know, better, uh, you know, plan for the worst, but hope for the best. Uh, now, I, since I wasn't driving, I had to, you know, I'm tagging along, so to speak. Uh, I was trying to be as frugal as I possibly could with, with my packing. So I had a frame pack uh, 
you know, my, my, I had an old frame pack that I, you know, I strapped a, a chair to, I mean, a, a, you know, a little foldable camp chair to, um, a sleeping pad, a sleeping pad, a sleeping bag and a tent. And then, you know, a few days of, of clothes and, um, uh, some, you know, sanitary wipes, a couple rolls of toilet paper, of course, um, some lighting gear, a couple flashlights, a headlamp. Uh, and, uh, I had a little ammo box full of things like, you know, some medications, you know, some, um, aspirin, some ibuprofen, uh, you know, some uh, vitamins, some antacids, things like that. Q-tips, uh, toothpaste, toothbrush, you know, some of the essentials, uh, a couple cooking, uh, utensils and, uh, and I had a, um, a small little miniature cooking pot that I threw, threw in, uh, into the backpack as well. So, you know, I mean, I had, a. Just the bare essentials, so to speak, and that took up the entire frame pack, which I actually ended up weighing quite a bit when everything was all said and done. And uh, on top of that, you add a hundred quart cooler with you know four days worth of of, of meals in it, uh, and enough to go around just in case, uh, you know, and beverages too. Holy cow, did we go through the water? Uh, it, it was so dusty out there. I came back from the Rubicon so filthy dirty. I have never been that dirty in my entire life. It was it was like uh, taking a mud bath when I finally got home and was able to shower. Uh, probably one of the best showers I've had in my life. Uh, but uh, I, I can't believe how filthy and dirty you get out there. I mean, sunscreen is 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 critical. But getting back to your question, as far as uh, you know, vehicle preparation, um, you know, actually being prepared for the worst is is probably the biggest thing. Having uh, what you need to fix, you know, uh, something on the trail in case it breaks. And primarily that's going to be axles and drive lines, uh, U-joints. Um, those are going to be the most critical. Uh, anything else outside of that is just sort of um, over-preparation. Wouldn't hurt, but remember you're taking up space and uh, and weight as well. In my personal rig, um, I'm definitely going to need or want an oil pan skid plate uh, for the Rubicon. I'm definitely going to want to protect my transfer case a little bit better. I'm definitely going to want to re-gear. Right now, my stock 355s on uh, 30, uh, 33 1250s uh, would not cut it in my mind. I would need to, it would just add a lot more difficulty because I would have to be loading up the brake and bringing up the RPMs to drop the wheels, uh, the, the tire speed uh, to get that crawl ratio. Uh, whereas if I was running 456s or even 488s, uh, then I would have that lower, that deeper crawl ratio to really benefit me in a lot of the type of wheeling that is at the Rubicon. So uh, other than that, honestly, uh, I think that my Jeep could have made 90% of what was ran uh, in our group. So now, I'm, I'm very, very confident that, I, that if I were to ta- have taken it there in the condition that it was, that I would have done just fine. Now, uh, yeah, I know we get we get into that uh, that uh, I won't say downward spiral, but that spiral of how what we could what can we do to make things better? What can we do to make things perfect where we can uh, get through and uh, uh, not have a bunch of damage? And and then they, really that's what I was referring to. I'm I'm sure your your rig would make it as it is. But um, now with the there is a a front skid uh, a factory front skid that is rather substantial. And I just put it back on my rig. You mentioned a oil pan skid. Do you need mm-hmm. both? Do you think? No, I, I don't think so. And in fact, um, uh, the f- 
the the factory skid plate that kind of goes in front of the steering, which I don't I don't even think would work in my situation with my oh, steering yeah. setup now. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it could probably be modified right. to work, uh, but uh, you know, is it worth it? Is it even needed? Honestly, I don't think so. Uh, if you are running stock steering um, or even a ZJ upgrade, um, I, I would say the the factory front skid plate is a good option for you. If you've got a steering setup like I do, uh, with the with the you know quarter inch wall DOM tubing, one ton tie rod ends, uh, or Himes, or you know you're over the knuckle with some big with some big bars, I would say you're probably fine. Uh, honestly, the front skid plate is just it's not gonna it's not gonna help you out all that much. So I guess what I was asking was, uh, could you do without the oil pan skid if you had the front factory skid? But from what well, I think I'm hearing is that you would, you, you know, you could have or not, depending on if it worked or not, the front skid, but what you really want is an oil pan skid. It sounds like an oil pan skid would be uh, what what would be beneficial out on the Rubicon Trail. Absolutely, and and here's why, is because tire placement is going to be crucial uh, for this kind of a trail system. So, uh, and this is why it takes, you know, um, three days to go six miles. Uh, and because you're, you're, you're very much paying attention to where your tires are going, uh, where you're putting the vehicle and how, how the weight transfer is going to affect your vehicle position. Because, uh, oftentimes what happens is you'll find some of those slick spots or you don't quite put your tire where you wanted it to, or the back end doesn't quite, you know, end up where you, where you really wanted it to. And you're in a position to where you start to slide off of an obstacle or you start to slide out of your line or off of your line. And this is where you then end up uh, finding, the, finding the rocks with the underside of your vehicle and not with your tires. And the most exposed critical part is the oil pan at this point. I mean, one of the guys just, I mean, put a huge set of dents in his oil pan. Uh, I mean, probably reduced its capacity by a quart or more. <laughs> Yeah, no, seriously, and, um, and and shaved it. I mean, I, I'm surprised it doesn't have a hole in it, honestly. So uh, that uh, that was one of the things that made me realize, I mean, a lot of the guys I wheel with don't have oil pan skid plates. Uh, but for the Rubicon, I mean, unless you're running 37s, 38s, or, or bigger, uh, I would say uh, a Cherokee on 33s or 35s, an oil pan skid plate is probably a really good idea for the Rubicon. And sliders are, are just a given. You're, oh, you you got to oh, have sliders. Yeah, no. I mean, bare minimum, absolutely essential. There's no way that you're going to make it through the Rubicon without sliders. Now, there, there's just, go ahead. I was just going to say, now, what about mid-skids? You know, I've been looking at the, the JCR uh, skid plate that actually attaches to the front and over the uh, factory cross member that gives your transfer case uh, protection, but uh, because you know from one side of the unibody rail to the other side, I, I really like that. And uh, from what you're talking about, it sounds like that would be something that would be very beneficial uh, with yeah. uh, the rocks coming up with no telling where. If I understand what you're saying correctly, because of the wheel placement, you may not have the luxury of choosing what rocks, what jagged rocks you're going to come down on. Uh, basically where underneath your vehicle so the more protection underneath the easier it makes for you to take the proper line uh, or at least uh, stay on the proper line because uh, oftentimes your front will be on the line and your back will lose traction and you will pivot 
mm-hmm. off to one side slightly. And now you are angled off of your line. You want it to be pointed that way because the next rock that you want to hit is that way. Well, now you're pointed 30 degrees off and you have to figure out how to correct to get back to where you wanted to go for the line that you wanted to, to be on. Now, your your options are either to drag yourself over the obstacle you're now high centered on or um, you know figure out how to get yourself into a different line. Gotcha. And oftentimes it's a you know 50-50 which it doesn't matter which way you go um you know something's going to happen either you're going to get you know have to having to pivot on a rock rail or having to drag yourself over um you know something via skid uh or just you know throttle out and hope for the best which you know several of our guys end up having to do several times uh just because there was really no alternative uh, there's there's a lot of faces a lot of uh, a lot of ledges that have to be dealt with and uh, this is where, you know, drivetrain components really come into risk. So it doesn't matter how much armor you have, you have to climb this face if you're going to go any further. And uh, having a strong drivetrain is really going to be crucial in that, in that instance. And this is where preparation comes in to where, okay, let's say, you know, you're out there with a Dana 35 and you really bounce hard trying to get up this face and you snap an axle. Well, you better have a re- have a replacement and figure out how to get up that under winch power or through a different line versus you know throttling and bouncing your way up it. Right. Wow. So uh, yeah, I can see how this would be very challenging and also to a uh, a badge of courage whenever you get through there, uh, especially if you don't have any uh, any damage, <laughs> which sounds like it might be one of those situations where you're going to have some no matter what. Yeah, everybody made it out there with some degree of scratches, dings, um, scrapes, something. Uh, I mean, even the tallest rig in our in our group uh, with uh, with thirty sevens and uh, and tube fenders all the way around. Uh, you know, massive rock rails, um, frame tie-ins with everything, uh, narrowed, uh, tubbed. I mean, uh, he was probably the most built, and even his quarter panel on one side got a couple little chew marks on it. Virtually every tube fender uh, had some scrapes and scratches on it. Uh, I mean, uh, the guy with the LJ, probably the worst of it all. Uh, both front fenders crushed. Mm. Um, I think he managed to keep both tail lights. I think one of them got a crack in it. Uh, sheared off the the control arm mount on the front. Uh, yeah, the uh, uh, got a <laughs> hole in inside the collector of the header. Uh, coming down on one side, uh, when that control arm went, it, uh, I think it, it, it shifted the axle, which moved the front drive line, which then the front, the, that, uh, U joint, the yoke on the front drive line, uh, at the front axle chewed into the exhaust manifold at the collector where it comes down. I mean, it's a hole so big you could put your hand into his exhaust. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's just massive carnage, uh, all the way around. And you know, it's just sometimes you hit that unforeseen where you're trying to climb an obstacle and something gives way. And now it could have been a small amount of damage that you never would have seen uh, unless you got under there with a magnifying glass from your last wheeling trip. Right. And just this level of trail is so difficult that uh, it, it really, really very quickly will let you know where the weak point is in your build. I bet. Wow. Now, Interesting. That, that being said, I cannot wait to go back, uh, just s- strictly for the scenery, if nothing else, uh, because th- we have nothing like that out here in the Northwest. Now we have 
we have sprawling hillsides and canyons and ravines and and lots of trees and beautiful vistas and and uh, and great views here as well. Uh, just nothing quite to this caliber. And uh, and it was it was definitely a very unique experience uh, that I, I can't wait to to have again. Great, great story, Josh. Thank you for sharing that with us. No, absolutely. Now, uh, I, f- I neglected to mention this last week, and uh, I believe as of today, the recording of this uh, this podcast, there are only eight days left. But uh, we have, uh, there's, over the past uh, five years, people have uh, asked about some XJ Talk t-shirts, and uh, we, uh, we talked about it. We uh, came up with uh, the majority of people like the black t-shirts. I'm not a big black shirt fan. Um, dandruff and uh, fat boy in uh, high humidity and high heat black is not my uh, not my favorite uh, favorite color but uh, uh, we did find a way uh, that we could uh, order up some t-shirts not have to uh, pay for them up front not have to guess what sizes everybody would need and uh, it, it actually worked out really well from the standpoint of uh, no upfront uh, money necessary uh, no chances of a bunch of uh, product being left on the shelf, so to speak. Um, you may have heard this because uh, uh, I've seen several celebrities uh, using it. Stomper, uh, the rebuilding of Stomper, which is uh, the, uh, the the Jeep JK that was uh, totaled in Moore, Oklahoma, the F5 tornado. There was a, a prior uh, interview that we had here on the show. Uh, they started up this, uh, they used this thing called Booster.com, which I believe is a, uh, a website that Custom Inc., uh, has put up and basically um, they uh, they set it up where you could buy these stomper t-shirts well I went and checked it out to see how it would work out for XG talk and it looked pretty good so I set it up it doesn't didn't cost me anything to do it uh, just set it up with some black t-shirts the XG talk logo and if you go over to uh, www.booster.com booster like if uh, it was a, a Little League booster or a fire department, a volunteer fire department booster where they were raising money. Uh, uh, booster.com slash XJTalk. You'll see, uh, you can see the t-shirts both front and back and uh, get a good idea about uh, what the shirt looks like. You uh, can order them in uh, a multitude of sizes, uh, really a bunch of different sizes. Only that one design though, and it's uh, a black t-shirt. It's got the uh, full color XJTalk logo. The uh, the t-shirts are $25 a piece, and there is a flat $5 shipping. Now, keep in mind, this is all through Booster.com. It's not something that uh, I have a, a stack of t-shirts here, and I'll, I'll be sending them out to you or anything. But the downside to this is is the, the shirts are only available for 30 days. So that means that we've already gone through about 22 days of, of having the, these t-shirts available for people to purchase. Uh, and, uh, so 30 days you, we have, uh, to, we can, we have to sell at least 20 or have at least 20 orders. So, uh, 20 individual, individual shirts. So if somebody wanted to buy two shirts, that would be considered, you know, two orders anyway. So we're trying to get to 20 because at 20 means they're actually going to print and ship the shirts. If we don't hit 20, then they're not going to, they'll just refund your money. So if you're interested in a uh, XJ Talk t-shirt, go over to www.booster.com slash XJ Talk, have a look, purchase. If, and again, if it doesn't hit 20, 
you will receive a refund. The shirts are $25 with a flat $5 shipping. Uh, I believe that is only uh, in the United States shipping because I, I have purchased one T-shirt for Ed in uh, uh, in Holland, which uh, he's not going to get <laughs> if, uh, if we don't sell uh, 20 of these T-shirts. So it's not going to be anything that you're going to lose uh, lose on. You'll either get a shirt uh, for uh, $25 or you won't. And, uh, you know, keep in mind, we also have uh, XJ Talk hats, uh, not through booster.com, but we have them here. So you can go to the, uh, the click on store on the, the navigation tab and uh, it'll take you there and you can buy a hat. You will be completely decked out in XJ Talk gear if you so desire. Well, that sounds really cool, and uh, I'm sure we've got a thread up where uh, people can see pictures of what these things are going to look like. Yes. Very good. Well, I'm excited, Tony, and uh, you can count on me getting at least one, and I hope you guys uh, pick up at least one or two as well. Oh, and I did uh, forget to mention, we're halfway to the 20 mark. So we, we've currently, uh, people have ordered uh, 10 uh, T-shirts, so eight days left. We need to get 10 more T-shirts sold, otherwise they are not going to fulfill the order. And you know what, folks? I mean, we're, we're into September now. That means, uh, you know, we're just a couple few months away from Christmas season and shopping, <laughs> that holiday season. Folks, this will make a great Christmas present. <laughs> this would make a great, what the hell is this? Yeah. <laughs> Christmas present. <laughs> hey, no regifting now. So uh, let's get over to our voicemails, Josh. Uh, we've got a uh, we've got two voicemails tonight. Uh, one from uh, Nikki G and uh, another from a new caller. Very good. Hey, this is Tony, and this is Josh from the XJ Talk Show. We want to thank you for calling our twenty four seven voice line. Yes, we do. Just leave your first name and your question or comment. There's no guarantee, but we may play your message on the podcast. Oh, and don't worry about keeping it clean. We'll take care of that. Now it's your turn to speak at the beep. Hi, this is Earl, a.k.a. Captain Tuna. This is the first time I've seen you guys live. I'm enjoying the show. Keep up the good work. Have a good day. Hey, this is Nikki D. And I just want to say uh, I really like the uh, YouTube live that it makes uh, the podcast a lot more accessible to me, a lot more convenient. I hope everybody else feels the same way. It's not just me. And, uh, I'd like to uh, wish Josh a safe trip on the Rubicon, but by the time he hears this, he'll probably be back and uh, in a vegetative, zombie-like state. And I know I would be after all that driving. And, uh, so got a few questions about the Jeep this week. Uh, I hear all this talk about lockers and stuff, and I didn't really know what they were, what they're all about. But I found a good deal on uh, Craigslist on uh, for the lockers. So I bought it, installed it in the front axle of the Jeep, and I'm all finished, and everything went pretty easy. But I'm looking at it, and uh, there's not enough room for a pair of gym shoes in there, let alone anything else. So uh, what good is a locker if you can't use it to store stuff? And another question I have, is, is it just me? This Canadian bacon tastes a lot like ham. All right, guys, I'll chat at you later, and uh, you guys have a good one. Bye. <laughs> well, thanks a lot, uh, Nikki G, and uh, also to uh, um, oh, forgot <laughs> I've forgotten Captain Tuna. Uh, Captain, 
Captain Tuna, uh, thanks a lot for those calls. We really appreciate it. And if you'd like to uh, join in uh, with our voicemails, please feel free to call our 24-hour by uh, seven-day-a-week uh, voicemail line. Nobody will answer the phone. You, no phone will even ring. So you can call any day, any time, and uh, this thing will, will record your, your message up to like three minutes, I believe. But that number is 530 675 4102-530-675-4102. And if you still didn't get it, rewind the podcast. <laughs> yeah, big thanks out there to Nikki G. Uh, and thanks for relating, man. I, uh, I am in definitely a bit of a zombie state after uh, all those all those road miles. And big thanks to Captain Tuna. Those are kind words and uh, and glad both of you guys, Nikki and, and Captain Tuna, are, uh, are benefiting from our switchover from Ustream over to YouTube. The XJ Talk Show is now available on iTunes. Subscribe and leave a review. Also, be sure to give us a five-star rating. I want to remind you guys that uh, we haven't done it here in the past uh, several shows, but we will be coming back to our Amazon You Bought What segments here uh, probably next show. And, uh, and I say next last several shows, the last two shows. Uh, after our uh, summer break, Josh. But uh, just uh, if you're buying things through Amazon, please remember to go over to xjtalk.com or xjtalkshow.com. Click on the Amazon banner before you go and make your purchase because uh, you'll get the same product that you were going to get, the same price you were going to pay, and the XJ Talk Show and xjtalk.com will get a few cents, a few percentage points off that sale. So you'll help uh, support uh, the site and the show with those purchases. And be sure to tell a friend if you know anybody who's about to make an online purchase, uh, have them uh, do it through Amazon.com and make sure they click on the XJ Talk Show link before they do anything. First week in Jeep. Five million Jeeps. That's right. I said five million with a B. The five millionth vehicle built at Chrysler Group's North Assembly Plant in Detroit was a 2014 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland that had been produced in around, right around mid-August or so. The first model built there back in January 1992 was also a Grand Cherokee. Pretty inter- interesting. From uh, 1992 to 2013, it's quite a span right there. And the first and the last Cherokee to roll off the line were both Grand Cherokees. Now I know we're all. Cherokee fans here, uh, but it's uh, interesting that, uh, well, the big brothers uh, were uh, sort of staking their their uh, claim to fame there. Now, last October, Chrysler added 1,100 new employees at this 3 million square foot facility to keep up with the growing demand for the Grand Cherokee. Uh, and Jeep announced earlier this week, in fact, that the commemorative vehicle, this 5 millionth Grand Cherokee, the 5 millionth vehicle to roll off of this thing, uh, will be donated to the USO. In my mind, or in my opinion, that uh, those are high marks going to Jeep and Chrysler for that. Kudos. Well, the uh, what else we got here? The uh, well, I mentioned uh, on another show about the Jeep recalls, but uh, Jeep is also planning on some big stuff uh, coming up here in the next couple of years. Uh, it has been announced that there's going to be two more additions to the Jeep uh, name badge line. Now they've got some tweaks and stuff they're going to do uh, with the uh, with the current lineup. There's going to be some, uh, well, uh, some fresh new looks uh, coming up to the, the whole lineup, including some are saying the potential for a Jeep pickup. So we may actually see a 2016 Comanche 
geez, I hope that doesn't look anything like the 2014 Cherokee. Please, God. New, yes, please, no. A new subcompact is uh, yet unnamed. Uh, it's going to be built in Italy uh, along with the Fiat 500X, and Jeep expects to sell about 150,000 of these uh, worldwide. Now, nobody knows what the thing looks like. Um, they say it's going to be a Jeep. They say it's going to be subcompact. To me, both of those things do not really go hand in hand. Uh, the Compass is going to get a, uh, a little bit of a makeover. It's going to get a new six-speed transmission, um, but the vehicle will largely stand, uh, st- stay put uh, pretty much as it is uh, until Jeep decides whether or not the Compass or the Patriot survive in 2015. Uh, so we don't know which way that's going to go. Uh, the Patriot, if it does make it, is going to get that six-speed automatic transmission. It's going to help um, power the vehicle. Uh, I guess they might uh, look at a new engine if they decide to keep it. Um, if they do, if they decide to go with the Compass and not the Patriot, there will be a limited number of Patriots uh, produced. They'll get a, uh, a limited run version, so to speak. The Wrangler uh, will, of course, uh, be not uh, escaping this, this revamp. It will re-engineer the Wrangler completely, uh, properly, for 2016, it's saying. Uh, styling will likely change a little, but the Wrangler will still get um, its typical look. It will also get an 8-speed transmission and, it is official, an optional diesel engine. We're glad to see that. I've uh, rattled off the specs on that in other shows. Uh, it's going to shed pounds. They're, they're going to lighten that thing up quite a bit. And uh, they're talking about using the Wrangler frame for the pickup if they decide to actually produce one. Now, as we all know, they've produced a Cherokee. And, well, apparently that's not going away because they're already planning on what it's gonna, what kind of changes are going to happen in 2016 for this thing. Uh, and, well, we don't know what that's going to be yet. Uh, they just to say have announced that it's going to carry on through 2015 and through 2016, um, and have some uh, some impressive changes coming up, which I'm really not holding my breath for. Uh, the Grand Cherokee, of course, the flagship SUV, was re-engineered back in 2014 uh, with an optional three-liter diesel engine and eight-speed transmission, all which is going to carry over uh, through the next couple of years as well. Uh, but in 2016, they're saying they're going to revamp it and give it a whole new overall. And, of course, the second new badge name that is coming to Jeep in 2016. And this is going to um, be very uh, very good news for a lot of um, people out there. Well, it might be mixed news uh, of you waggy lovers. That's right. A Grand Wagoneer is going to come out in 2016. Development has already started of the seven-passenger Grand Wagoneer. It's been delayed two years uh, so far for, I guess, some other launches. And uh, it's going to basically replace the Dodge Durango. Uh, so we're going to see what happens with that. The Grand Wagoneer to be coming out in 2016. And as I mentioned with you guys um, about some, uh, well, about some recalls on the 2014 Cherokee that's, well, I don't even know if it's in showrooms yet. Uh, but this whole recall has been kept pretty tight under wraps. Um, I did some, a lot of digging and stuff and, and got, got the, the, the gist of it all. And it's not really a mechanical issue. Apparently, it seems to be more of a software issue. You imagine a Jeep as ugly as that is. Well, it's going to be a lot of drive-by wire, and there's going to be a lot of software and computer stuff going on behind the scenes. Well, I guess this uh, brand spanking new nine-speed transmission they're trying to shoehorn into this thing uh, is having a hard time engaging into eighth and ninth gears uh, when it's equipped with this 2.4-liter Tiger Shark engine. Now, this is all because the engine is forced to rev at quite a low speed when it's in its highest gear, So, which also just so happens to be way short of the four-cylinder's power band. Uh, either way, Chrysler seems to be working around the clock to remedy this yet latest in a laundry list of issues that have been going on with this thing uh, pre-launch. So 
Uh, we'll see what happens with that. And that is our news, folks. Wow. So would, the, would this technically be a recall for a Jeep that, or for a vehicle that has not been released yet? Well, you know, because I understand that the orders have been made and numbers have been promised to, uh, to showrooms, dealers around, uh, around the nation, around the world, apparently. Uh, they have, I, I mean, I mentioned last, uh, well, a couple few episodes before we took a break that production had began mm-hmm. or was scheduled, scheduled to begin, uh, in September. Uh, they were gearing up and they had already had test vehicles made. The assembly line had been tooled. It was ready to go. They have ran a few test models through it to produce, um, you know, to produce, to produce these test rigs. And apparently, well, after they've everything's all been put together, they still don't have things right. So uh, essentially, it is a recall because they're having to recall the the tooling, the software in this case, okay. uh, make sure that things get right. And they had an issue with the headlights back a, a couple few months ago. Uh, the headlight circuit was like catching on fire or something. Uh, yeah, this so this was I mean just a laundry list of of things that have that have happened with this 2014 Cherokee. Honestly, uh, to me, that's writing on the wall, and they should just mothball the whole thing. Well. I would imagine that there's uh, there's often these type of uh, issues that we probably don't pay that close attention to, and and uh, it is Jeep. I'm sure they will work it out. Um, uh, I think little could be done uh, unless we could get Obama upset with the uh, 2014 uh, Cherokee that he could do a uh, uh, an executive uh, decision, executive order to uh, do something about it. I suppose, but uh, I, I don't see that happening. I think that the the, the buying public are the ones that are going to have the the pull on this one. Yeah, no, and and I guess that uh, the international market is probably going to drive a large portion of the sales uh, of this thing. So it's you know th- that's probably where their focus is going to be at least initially. I don't imagine there's going to be a whole lot of demand for the Trailhawk uh, because there's, there's nothing about this thing screams off road. No, well, uh, I'm sure there'll be a few people that buy them, uh, ones sure. that aren't true off roaders, and uh, then others that just want to have something that's uh, new and uh, and different and and there will be those that know that they that this is uh, such a uh, disliked uh, Cherokee uh, and and want to have it simply because it's not a popular vehicle. Actually, it probably would wind up being a very uh, uh, good collection uh, collectible if you wanted to have one and not really drive it and just put it in your uh, your uh, garage and just keep it and then sell it kind of like an Edsel. <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly so uh we'll see uh i don't i don't care for it but uh you know jeeps are ugly and uh this one certainly fits that bill uh as you learn its character and learn what it can do and what it can do for you uh you get that love and you see the the beauty in it so that's possible i, I don't think so uh you know i'm i'm the world's worst about uh buying into things i i don't like the, the jeep liberties uh, i still don't and uh, i always have uh, bad things to say about them uh, they don't have a front axle uh, i don't i don't care for it i wouldn't want one anyway i always make the statement that uh, i think uh, volkswagen made a much better looking beetle than what jeep did with the liberty <laughs> yeah that's a good point <laughs> it's just uh you know i don't know it's just it's so yuppified anyway uh so i had uh, mentioned at the the beginning of the uh, the show here that we had a uh, a quick impromptu uh, interview with uh, Matt, our uh, uh, other admin on xjtalk.com. He's uh, in Colorado this week uh, doing some uh, trail running around with uh, his wife and his 97 XJ. 
Hey guys, we've got uh, Matt Smorenberg. You know him as uh, M. Smorenberg on xjtalk.com, and he's off on a wheeling trip, uh, and he thought he would uh, jump in here and give us a quick update uh, about his uh, his excitement that he's had. Matt, tell the tell the audience where you are and what you've been up to. Oh, man, just two days out in the woods. I'm currently in Ridgeway, Colorado, 10 miles, I believe, north of Ure, which is supposedly the best Willing in Colorado. Well, uh, two days in the woods. You live in the woods, so what difference does this make? Uh, hard to breathe. Going <laughs> to run uphill very far. Yeah, it's like eleven thousand um, feet, isn't it? Uh, we're at seven. Seven. Like I've okay. gone as high as thirteen so far. Oh my goodness! So it's it's been a trip, you know. I left was it Thursday afternoon. Drove straight through. I basically met up with uh, a friend from Conroe up here, and we basically hopped in the Jeep and went and hit uh, like four trails in one city. You know, so I spent like 20 something hours in the car and then uh, basically grabbed the subway and hit the road. And uh, we hit a trail called, uh, oh, I'm looking it up here, Hoochie Gulf. I guess we, I can't pronounce it. And that was, you know, moderate. It was really good. Lots of great views. And then we were like, ah, let's go ahead and try the corkscrew and hurricane path, which was, I didn't have the book at the time. It was considered ex, uh, extreme. And both of us are, he's in the Toyota truck and I'm in the Jeep, both open, you know, and we're tooling around, you know, it's, it's like washboard rock after washboard rock. Mm. Having a blast. And then, all of a sudden, the rain comes through, and uh, I'll be posting the video that I didn't do of me going through the hardest spot at Hurricane Pass, which it felt like past a 45-degree drop. Tony, you've seen the video. The wipers are going. It's raining, <laughs> and, you know, we've just, we're hitting, I've got spotters, you know, hooting and hollering, you know, just trying to get out of here. I mean, if it wasn't for that light bar, that towards the end of the evening, we would have never found our way out. Oh, that's great. That's was, great to hear that that light bar came, came in handy. Oh, yeah. It just lit up the whole trail. You know, uh, Bob, his name was in front of me, but he was like, leave it on so I can see. <laughs> oh, I bet you he's going to buy and one. It, I think he is. He's going to buy one when he gets back. But, uh, I mean, we must have hammered through the, you know, the rest of this extreme trail, which it felt like washboard rock after ravine. Um, we didn't give him any pictures because it was dark, you know, rainy. And uh, the wife was just getting beat up in the passenger seat because there's not much to hang on. <laughs> but it was amazed to see people just pitch the tent, man. They parked where they were, pitched the tent, and just that's where they were for the night. I can I can see that. If it's uh, if it's that difficult to trail, uh, I imagine after a while you get uh, pretty tired and just ready to sit, sit it wherever you are and uh, rest up and, and hit it the next day. Yeah. Now, of course, you guys aren't doing that. You actually, you're actually in a cabin, right? I'm in a like a little bed and breakfast. Uh, I don't cow something. Um, it's basically a little apartment above a antique store, right smack dab in Ridgeway. Oh my gosh! How do you get your wife to leave that place? Because I know how women are with uh, with antique stores. Well, we've already hit a few. <laughs> it's kind of like <laughs> bet. we do a day of wheeling and then we do a day of poodling around. 
so how is that how, how is how do you compare going to the antique store with uh <laughs> with off-roading how, how, but more importantly how does she compare those two things uh she'd rather go to the antique store because she's not getting beat up in the jeep i think she's whacked her head a few times on the seatbelt oh gee. You know, buckle up there yeah yeah i mean it's you wear your seatbelt full time up here you know we took a it was a 14 mile trail today Imogene pass mm-hmm. which i think i sent you some pictures and you might share them this evening that was 14 miles and it took us five hours and basically it left Ouray and put us in telluride and uh there's a couple pictures of uh black bear pass on the other side and uh bob he did black bear pass and he's like yeah i'm not going to do it again in the Toyota." The turning radius isn't what it should be. He said every, if you look at it, it drops 3,000 feet in nine-tenths of a mile. So it's switchback after switchback. He had to back up three times in each switchback. My goodness. I had, yeah, I had no idea that it was that tight. Yeah, the pictures don't show it any justice, but it's, I mean, it's, when you're looking at it from afar, it doesn't look bad, but. Yeah, no, it's just switchback after switchback. So uh, this wheeling trip, I know you've been on, uh, you've been wheeling in the the ninety seven XJ uh, in the past. Not, uh, I don't guess this is your first uh, long distance trip in it. Uh, but what have you learned on this trip that you need? What changes do you need to make to your uh, XJ for for the next uh, wheeling adventure? Man, I don't think I'd change anything right now. It's you know, I had a little issue at the at 13,000 feet through check engine light of uh, map sensor, low voltage. And I was like, I'm not worried about it. And I just kept on going. But honestly, you know, blockers may help down the road, but everything I've run across is, uh, you know, it's a little rough, but it's great. Well, I guess there is one change is the uh, keep it in second gear mod with that little yeah. second stick. Because there's a lot of times where first year is too much and third year, you know what I mean, it, it scoots down the mountain, whereas you can just drop it in first. And it just, second year would be perfect for some of these six to eight degree, you know, going downhill. Now, I'll remind Great. everybody I'll remind everybody that you have both disc brakes front and rear because you did the rear disc uh, brake conversion. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, is yours a ZJ conversion or uh, the, uh, the the Liberty conversion? I would call it a hybrid. It's the ZJ with uh, what is that Liberty the brake cables? Oh yeah, yeah. But the primary parts are ZJ. So how are those brakes holding up for you? Great. I have not run across any hot spots, you know. But then again, I'm using the transmission to keep it. Uh, you know, engine brake. Yeah. So if you had something to one keep thing, you, I'm sorry. Go ahead. One thing that you'll find interesting, coming back into town, you know, drop it in third gear, going downhill, it'll hold it at 60 miles an hour, and the coolant goes to 190 degrees. It's kind of a weird feeling. <laughs> I bet. Well, it's pretty cool up there too, isn't it? Yeah, but I've been running 210 the whole time, and you know, you're going down. There may be times that I didn't even touch a gas for 10 minutes because you're just third gear, you know, rolling downhill at 60, keeping it, you know, where you need to be and the temperature drops. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you're basically, uh, it's it's no power. It's it's all uh, resistance going all the way yep. down the hill. 
Interesting. All the way down to 190. So it would it would be really interesting to know what the underhood temperatures are if it doesn't cool down because the uh, uh, the header isn't heating up too. That would be uh, that would be pretty interesting. Well, Matt, was there anything yep. else you wanted to add? We're going to uh, we're actually guys we're actually recording this prior to the live show, so uh, uh, Matt was good enough to jump in here real quick, and uh, I've got to wrap it up so I can get the uh, the show going. So, was there anything you wanted to add for our audience tonight? I just share some of the photos I sent you. Um, you know, Imogene Pass. It was you know rock after rock. When you get past trees, the whole everything changes. It's serious cliffs you look over. And now, uh, abandoned landmines are pretty cool to see too. Um, <laughs> that's our plan. Two days from now, not not tomorrow, day after, to hit uh, the the main strip with all the abandoned mines. Oh, that sounds I great! From the remainder of that path. Well, that sounds great, and and we will have those pictures up available on uh, xjtalk.com and in the appropriate post somewhere. <laughs> okay. All right, Matt. Thanks a lot, and. Uh, if you get a chance to uh, watch the show tonight, we uh, hope to see you on there. Have a, a safe trip, and, um, we'll, sure. uh, and we'll be checking back with you later because you're going to be there till through Friday, right? Uh, yeah. All right. Well, safe trip, man. See you all week. All right. See you later. Thanks. How would you like to be a guest on the XJ Talk Show? Do you have an interesting story about your Jeep? Maybe an off-road adventure? Perhaps you're a vendor and want to get the word out about your great products. Send us an email to interviews at xjtalk.com or call and leave a voice or text message at 530-675-4102. 530-675-4102. We look forward to hearing from you xjtalk.com is where you go when you're not off-road. And now you can go to xjtalk.com when you're off-road too. Using your smartphone, install the Tap a Talk app, then search for xjtalk. Take xjtalk with you wherever you go. Jury duty, dinner with your spouse's parents, even, well, anywhere you need your xjtalk fix. XJTalk.com. It's where you go when you're not off-road. And uh, speaking of uh, Tapa Talk, I recently received some information from those guys uh, indicating that they're going to be going to a free version of their app because I think they're going to be doing a little more uh, commercialization as far as uh, ads and whatnot instead of trying to uh, uh, sell the app to people. So, you know, none of us like the commercials and the ads that come up uh, on uh, various things. And uh, hopefully they'll still have a paid version so that you won't have to go through that. Now, it's all just hearsay. Uh, it's something that that, uh, that they sent me since we run uh, the Tapa Talk application on xjtalk.com, also to on wranglertalk.com. Uh, and the, you can use that app to access uh, the website, uh, the forums from either a uh, Android or uh, iPhone using it, but uh, so if you're not a Tapa Talk user, simply because you didn't want to pay the dollar ninety nine or whatever whatever it is uh, that they want for it right now, uh, keep watching because I think over the next month or so they're going to going to be going to a uh, going back to a free version, but I believe this will be a fully functional version. Got a tip? We do. 
It's time for Jeep Tips. Well, hey guys, uh, I recently had some uh, issue. Well, not myself personally, but had some uh, opportunities uh, to take care of some issues out on the Rubicon Trail. These are some pretty drastic uh, things that go wrong when on the trail of of this kind of caliber. Now, not all of us do average, you know, our average wheeling goes on on trails like the Rubicon, but we can all run into situations where something bad is going to happen, uh, where something bad happens rather, and you need to know how to fix it. Now, you know the old saying, "There's a hundred ways to skin a cat." Well, in, in some some ways that that can be applied to well, how to fix certain things that happen to you when you're on the trail. Uh, for instance, let's say something were to happen and you uh, shear a control arm right off the axle. That mount just comes right off the axle. This is actually a common problem with the Dana 30s and even the Dana 45s that are found, or the uh, Dana 44s that are found underneath the Rubicons uh, on the uh, the TJs and the LJs, um, or the uh, and then and the, and the newer JKs and stuff. These these control arm mounts are just stamped steel, and they are not very strong, especially when you get into the kind of forces that are applied to a Jeep after you put even the mildest of lift on it and get it into situations like uh, trails, uh, obstacles like the Rubicon. Now, if you were to have something like that happen and that control arm, uh, let's say that your lower control arm gets sheared off the axle, uh, what's going to happen? Well, it basically takes your four-link suspension system and turns it into a three-link. Well, you might think to yourself right here, well, hey, uh, Iron Rock Off-Road sells a three-link system. Uh, then you should be just fine. It should be, uh, you know, okay and good to go. Well, in some regards, yes. In some regards, no. Uh, you can still get yourself off the mountain, off the uh, trail under your own power. However, the four-link system to three-link conversion uh, by shearing off your control arm mount uh, is still not allowing that four-link system to operate the way that it should. Iron, Iron Rock Off-Road uh, creates a sort of, a, you know, a pseudo a radius arm three link setup and uh, and that enables to keep the axle in place where it's supposed to be once you lose one of your um, links out of uh, four link setup uh, it is very hard to keep the axle where where it should and certainly in the angle that it should you lose lower control arm well what's going to happen is that axle is going to get pushed in towards the rest of the jeep uh, on, on that corner so for instance if you lose your driver's side control arm uh, that can that axle is really going to get shoved into the Jeep on the driver's side. Anytime you go on, on uh, you know, over an obstacle, uh, you come up to a face, you got to climb a rock, uh, something like that. Even if you are going downhill and turning to your right, it's going to put all that weight onto that front corner. It's going to really push that axle back into the Jeep, and that co- causes a lot of problems. One pinion angle, two, well, tire clearance. Uh, the tire is no longer centered in the wheel well. And you're going to start rubbing pretty bad. Well, what do you do about this? Well, there's a few things you can do. You can try to do like JB Weld. Honestly, it takes 24 hours to cure. You're probably not going to want to be out on the trail for 24 hours. Uh, you could try something like strapping it up. That might get it out of the trail at least and keep it from hanging up on things, but it's not going to really keep the suspension geometry the way it should, and you certainly can't wheel like that. Another option is to weld it. Now, not everybody has a ready welder, uh, they're rather expensive portable welding system that hooks up to a car battery or vehicle's battery system and has an internal inverter which ups the amperage and gives you this little wire feed uh, welder on demand. Uh, now, th- these are quite handy and they're probably one of the coolest things you, you can see on the, out on the trail as far as uh, repair, uh, repair tools go. Uh, another thing you can do is create your own welder. 
And this is not something that we un, uh, had access to at this point um, because, well, frankly, we weren't prepared for it. Uh, but I have seen this done on other runs. And what it involves is creating your own welder by use of jumper cables, batteries, and welding sticks. And how this works is you line up all your positives, you line up all your negatives, you basically are jumping battery to battery, uh, and you ground the vehicle. You ground the vehicle with your, you know, whatever you're welding. Uh, for instance, for in this case, it would probably be the axle. And one side of the jumper cable goes from that negative, last negative of the battery to the, uh, to the axle. And then the positive side gets hooked up to something like a set of vice grips with a welding rod. And essentially what you've done is you've created a, a, a massive bank of voltage and you're going to dead short that welding rod to the chassis or to the axle or to this bracket that you're trying to re-weld. And that melts the welding rod and essentially melts the metal, uh, the, melts the metal, uh, melts the metal and allows you to bond these two broken pieces back together. Uh, it's a risky maneuver because, well, for the unexperienced, it can be quite intimidating. And two, well, the more batteries you have, the better voltage you have, which means the deeper uh, penetration you get with your weld. If you've only got a battery, one battery isn't going to cut it. Two batteries, probably your bare minimum. Three batteries, you're getting somewhere. Four batteries, you can probably do most of your average repairs with success. Uh, not everybody's going to carry three extra batteries with them. So this is another good reason to really wheel uh, in, a, in a larger group. And in this case, it can probably save your butt and get you off the trail, or at least get you back to wheeling if it, if it ha you know, so if the worst were to happen. Well, and now, as a, at a very minimum, you want at least one other uh, equally capable off-road rig with you. You never want to go on the trail by yourself. And when I say by yourself, I don't mean a carload of people. <laughs> I mean, somebody else that can drive your ass out of there if the worst case happens. Yeah, that's right. Uh, we actually ran into that situation uh, where, you know, we had a driveline snap. And although we still had front wheel drive, so to speak, uh, with our rear driveline basically completely out of the vehicle um, and trying to get off of the uh, off of the mountain in front wheel drive. Uh, and that's basically putting the vehicle in four wheel drive, spinning just the front driveline and trying to crawl yourself out of the out of the mountain it didn't work once you get into some steeper terrain uh any kind of a decent incline and you just don't have the ability to push yourself up the mountain you think well i can pull myself up the mountain well what if i had too low you know i could i could drive up in rear wheel drive yeah you probably could you'd probably have at least a little bit easier of way to uh a means to do it but we actually had to get towed several several times um, you know, I would say the better part of a mile, mile and a half trying to climb our way out of the, out of the Rubicon, uh, we had to get towed, uh, with another vehicle. And that's where, like Tony said, wheeling with another capable rig or as capable, if not more so of a, a capable rig than what you're wheeling in cases like this where, well, you need a little bit of help. Now, another time where help might come in is let's say you're bound up on an obstacle uh, and you're trying to climb an obstacle on a rock or something like that. And all of a sudden you hear a snap <laughs> and something gives way. And for those of us who have, have seen this or experienced this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a bind up. You're trying to, you know, get that wheel to climb up over the, over the rock or something like that. Trying to get that tire to grip and, and, and climb up that face. And all of a sudden just bam, something happens. Something lets go. You feel that release of energy. Uh, and it's that sudden release of that built up energy where you hear that loud snap 
and you know that something has gone terribly wrong. Well, if you go do a visual inspection and you look down and, and you know it's coming from the, you, you know it came from the front end, but you don't see any fluids pouring out on the trail. All the U joints seem to be intact. You don't hear anything really bad going on when, let's say, you drive forward or driving back, uh, drive back. Well, that snap just wasn't somebody clapping. Uh, that snap was something going wrong. And it's not always easy to figure out what exactly was going on. Uh, and it's hard to diagnose, well, whether or not you snapped an axle or something like that internally. If there's something internal going on in the differential uh, that caused that snap, uh, the best way to do it is to get the front end up in the air. Disconnect the rear drive shaft and isolate the front end to the powertrain. And this is going to tell you a few things. Once you put that thing in four-wheel drive, uh, and for those who have lockers at least, this really helps. Because um, that front locker, once engaged, should be spinning both front or both the uh, left and right side of the of the front axle. Both those wheels should be spinning at the same time when you put it in gear and give it a little bit of gas. Now, if only one is spinning, well, then you know you've got something going on. Uh, you can't determine this with the vehicle on the ground and both drive lines hooked up. You can't do this with the vehicle in the air with the front wheels in the air and the rear drive line hooked up because well, essentially that's going to push the vehicle off of whatever jack you have holding the front end up. So you got to get the vehicle up in the air, you got to disconnect the rear drive line, and you got to isolate that front end. Now, if this happened in the rear end, just the opposite. Disconnect that front drive shaft, get the rear end up in the air, get both those wheels spinning. Now, for those who have open differentials, it's going to be a little bit harder. Chances are you're going to have to open up the differential, grab that wheel, and spin it, if nothing else. You, the opposite wheel should spin in the opposite direction if you're open. If it's not spinning at all, when you go back and forth, most likely you've got a broken axle. Well, and if you've got a, a, a C-clip rear end, uh, you should just be able to pull on the, <laughs> on the wheel <laughs> if it starts sliding out and you know you got a broken axle. <laughs> yep. And for those who've done something like a Dana 44 front-end conversion, uh, slapped a, a you know, Wagoneer or a Scout 2 axle or something like that uh, underneath, uh, underneath your rig, Dana 44s have um, hubs. And uh, oftentimes it's a lot easier to start pulling a hub than it is to pull off the entire you know, disc and, and, and wheel assembly. Uh, you can do this whole, the whole procedure without even taking the wheel off. So, um, and it's usually just about you know, six to eight bolts or something like that, depending on the, uh, on the, uh, on the actual hub. Uh, but pull that hub off and look inside, and if everything seems to be intact, well, then you know it's something else other than a hub that has gone loose. In our case, that's exactly what happened. The hub inside, basically the exterior gear, completely grenaded. And, uh, and well, you're still able to get down in three wheel drive and three wheel drive is better than no wheel drive. Yeah, it's definitely better than two. <clears throat> so, um, the, uh, the wife told me the other day, she drives the 2003 TJ and uh, the wife tells me the, the other day words I love to hear. Oh yeah. The, the Jeep is doing something. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like. Uh, here we go <laughs> and she says uh, it's making a noise and inside cha-ching 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 i'm not so worried it's you know generally speaking i've been through enough stuff with the jeeps that i know that none of it is really that expensive it's time consuming as far as getting the part and then putting it in and it's summertime here you know and, and uh, we're still looking at 95 to 98 degree days uh, and, uh, 1000% humidity. So, um, anyway, she continues and she says, 
Uh, you know how when you're driving along, now keep in mind, guys, this is a, a standard transmission, the five-speed standard, the NV3550 uh, transmission in this uh, this 2003 TJ. She says, you know how when you're riding along and uh, you have to give it gas uh, to, to keep it going, but you hit a, hit a speed where you don't need to give it gas, you just kind of let it, you know, you know, you just keep the throttle where you need to get to, to maintain speed. So you actually, uh, it, it may be decelerating slightly. She says it makes a noise whenever at that little uh, junction. So I said, well, I, I, it didn't sound like that serious to me. So uh, I said, you know, try to, to determine what kind of noise. I'm thinking uh, maybe the disc brakes are, are rubbing or something. And she says it didn't change with the brakes. Uh, I said, uh, when you put the clutch in, clutch in, does the noise go away? I didn't try that, yada, yada. So I said, no problem. I'll go out and I'll, I'll try, uh, try testing it out. So the only thing I noticed whenever I test drove it was uh, the transmission makes a, uh, a whining noise on deceleration. And she gave me a little bit, little bit more info about <clears throat> when she heard it. She says she hears it on all the gears, but uh, third, fourth, and fifth especially. So uh, I listened to it, and uh, I actually took my little uh, had my phone with me, of course. And since I have uh, that uh, that app we talk about, the Tape a Talk, the app that you can use to do uh, recordings for interviews for XJ Talk Show, uh, I have that on my phone, and I, uh, I pulled that up and uh, hit the record button, and held the uh, the phone down uh, down there where the the shifter is, to get closer to the the deceleration noise that I was hearing. And recorded some of that uh, deceleration noise, and and I think anybody that has ever driven or been in a uh, a rig with a standard transmission, we all, all know that whine noise. Now, I do think that it has gotten louder. Don't know why. It may be low on uh, on fluid. Uh, I did post up on WranglerTalk.com uh, to get some responses, and uh, even Matt uh, uh, weighed in and told me it's probably just uh, probably just a little bit low on fluid. So. What I did was, um, I know there's not a problem. I actually took the, uh, and I told told my wife, probably what I need to start doing is every uh, couple of weeks is uh, take the uh, the TJ to and from work. That way I can uh, ride uh, in it and uh, keep up with everything that it's doing. Keep up with everything that it's doing and uh, know that it's going to be uh, functioning properly. So uh, I would know about anything that was going wrong with it before she would hopefully. Yeah. Oftentimes a, a good road test and, and just a little bit of hypervigilance and, and driving a vehicle a couple few days over, a, you know, a little bit of a distance that a vehicle that you normally don't drive uh, will really help you sort of isolate where that's uh, where that noise is coming from. Yeah. Tony, uh, you know, I would, I would point you in the direction of the transfer case, uh, maybe just doing a, you know, a quick inspection on that. Uh, taking a look at the the U joints and uh, and maybe even you know popping open that uh, that top port, sticking your finger in there and finding out where the fluid level is. Uh, it could be a chance, like Matt was saying, just a little bit low on 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 fluid there in the T case. Unfortunately, uh, I have no idea what fluid is in that uh, in the NV thirty five fifty. So uh, I can take the uh, the top uh, fill port uh, off the plug off and check it, but then I don't know what to put in it. So what I decided to do instead was uh, uh, or order some uh, Redline uh, MTL, uh, three quarts, because I think it takes a little over two quarts if I read properly. And uh, I'm going to drain that, uh, drain the transmission 
uh, and fill it with uh, the red line and uh, see if that makes a difference in the uh, in the noise. And uh, hopefully I can just convince her, you know, hopefully if it doesn't, I can just convince her that that's, uh, that's just the sound that uh, transmissions make. And uh, as I've told her before, uh, that's, uh, that's the price you have to pay to be one of the cool kids to drive a Jeep. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it is a Jeep, it is an off-road vehicle and, uh, and it has a different kind of a drivetrain than while well, you're a Cadillac, for instance. So mm-hmm. it's going to make, uh, it's going to make some different noises and especially over the years, uh, with a manual transmission, parts are going to wear out. You know, you've got throwout bearings, you've got clutch discs, clutch plates, etc. Uh, and over time, those are going to wear a little bit, and uh, and as they do, they're going to sound a little bit different than the day they were new. Yeah. Uh, oh, and uh, I did forget to mention that I did play the uh, the audio recording back to her, and she did confirm that that's the the noise that she was hearing. So so guys, uh, if you're maintaining uh, the the other vehicle, the the minivan or whatever it is that your your wife drives, or perhaps even a jeep, uh, the uh, tape a talk application can uh, help you in as much as you both don't have to get in the vehicle <laughs> drive it around have somebody watch the kids uh, just so you can or load up the whole family just so you can go test drive if there's a if it's making a funny noise now the other thing uh, I had not planned I was kind of on the fence about whether or not to get a, uh, a snorkel for my uh, 98 uh, Jeep Cherokee uh, it was originally on my list of things that I definitely wanted to do and a lot of that has uh, comes from uh, the experience of weather here in the Houston area. Uh, being on the Gulf Coast, we do get tropical storms, tropical depressions, and the occasional hurricane. And uh, as uh, many of you guys know, the reason why I built up the XJ originally was uh, to make it a escape vehicle uh, for uh, bad weather, uh, like hurricane-specific, hurricane escape vehicle is the term I always use. Or zombie apocalypse, whatever. Zombie yeah. apocalypse would be good, but uh, snorkeling uh, would not be necessarily uh, for for zombies. That would be something they could hang on to. Uh, at any rate, uh, I had the snorkel on my list, not because I want to go through water. <laughs> I really don't. But I, uh, if if for some reason I am traveling uh, myself, or hopefully myself and my family trying to get to safety, I want to have the ability to get there. Uh, even if the inside of the vehicle is trashed and perhaps the AW4 transmission is trashed and uh, so on and so forth. If the snorkel helps me keep going far enough to get us to safety, then it was well worth it. Um, I was, um, I don't know, I was uh, looking around uh, something, I forget, somebody had said something about snorkel on the side or something, and uh, I was just poking around looking, and uh, I've already made the decision that since I have the Bushwhacker fender flares, that I was going to go with the uh, Airflow snorkel because uh, it will fit on the uh, XJ without having to do any modifications to the Bushwhacker, whereas the Safari snorkel will not. You will have to modify the Bushwhacker flares to make it fit. So, and also, too, it helps that it's uh, $200 or $300 cheaper. Uh, I already have a problem spending 300 and something bucks on a hunk of plastic, but <laughs> you know, that's just the way things are. Uh, so anyway, I was poking around looking and I found, uh, a, a website that is selling the airflow snorkel 
for the uh, for the XJs, and I think everybody knows, but this is for the non-ABS uh, equipped a- XJs uh, alone. Um, that uh, they were selling it <clears throat> for three hundred and twenty-five dollars, shipping included. Wow! So three ninety is what I had seen it for before. Now I did really good. I I went I, I hovered my mouse over the buy button, and I said, no, I'm not going to spend the money. I'll I'll think about more about this, and uh, you know maybe I'll get it, maybe I won't. Blah 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 blah. So the next day, I was actually telling uh, Matt about it uh, and uh, telling him about the great price. And he said, uh, uh, what's the link? And we were chatting back and forth through uh, Google+. And I went and got the link. And I saw that as a sign, Josh. It was a sign for me to buy it. Because <laughs> I had not saved the, the link. I knew how to get to it, but I didn't save it because I didn't want to, uh, to be tempted to uh, to purchase that. But... I thought of that and I thought, you know, something's going to come up. Uh, The XJs are getting older every year. That means the demand for things are going to be going down. People are going to be, companies are going to be switching to products that they they can make money off of. If I want a snorkel, I better get it now. And I don't think I'll be able to find it for cheaper than 325 bucks shipped. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I mean, for, for what it is and for what you're getting, I'd say that's a, that's a pretty dang good price. And, uh, I'm, you know what, Tony, maybe call it an early Christmas present. I don't know. I'd say go for it. Yeah. Well, I got uh, news back from the, uh, the company that ordered it from, I, I do not recall the name right offhand. Uh, but, uh, it, it is one of the vendors, uh, that is, uh, authorized vendors that are listed on the, uh, um, airflow USA uh, site. Uh, anyway, uh, I got a, a message from him, an email from him telling me that, uh, Hey, it's going to be, uh, airflow has told us it's going to be 10 weeks before, uh, the, uh, we get any snorkels from them. And, yep. uh, should we hold the order or do you want to cancel it? And I told him, yeah, go ahead and hold it. So they're going to hold the order and uh, fill it when they get it. Well, that was a perfect opportunity to, uh, say, well, you know, I could get one from another guy for $298, you know, <laughs> maybe you can uh, work me a deal here. No, that's uh, I'd say in any case, uh, you're still getting a good deal, even if your uh, instant gratification is going to be delayed for a little while. Yep. Well, I'm not looking forward to drilling a, uh, or I should say, cutting a three inch hole in uh, my fender anyway. Yeah. No, I know. That's uh, boy, that's uh, getting that saw out and drilling that first pilot hole is uh, is certainly uh, is something that you got to. When I was when I was cutting my uh, my fenders up, uh, doing a trim. Uh, that, that first cut is always the worst after that, once you, uh, once you get through the paint and primer and you start to see metal shavings going, well, <laughs> it's once you see it, I guess, uh, there's no turning back and well, you just got to kind of got to commit and push through. Yeah. Once you see the, uh, once you see the metal shavings, you know, it's all downhill from there, but at least we get compliments on the rigs, right? Because people look at that and go, wow customized it is you know that is not what everybody else has absolutely and uh i still get a few compliments here and there i really wish i could have uh, had my cherokee out on the uh, on the rubicon and gotten some compliments out there i sure gave out a few uh seeing the cherokees that i did see out on the rubicon uh some very nice rigs i snapped off a few picks and i uh, wish i could have uh, had some time to to stop those guys and, and get some interviews from them, but uh, we were on our on our uh, hurry, hurrying on our way out, and they were definitely hurrying on their way in. So uh, got some pictures and uh, want to at least uh, give them a nod and and uh, and well, 
Uh, one day, my Cherokee will be there alongside of him. Hey, guys, if uh, you enjoy the show, uh, please uh, consider going over to iTunes and uh, leaving us a five-star review. Uh, also, to let people know about the XJ Talk show. Uh, let them know about the live show. If you uh, are not aware, if you're a podcast-only listener, we uh, have uh, made the switch from Ustream to YouTube live events. So you should be able to go over to YouTube dot com slash channel slash xj talk and see past shows and also too uh you should be able to uh, uh, see the live shows now the live shows are sunday 10 p.m central time and uh you know you can follow us on facebook uh twitter uh definitely become a member on xjtalk.com and uh, you will find an xjtalkshow.com and uh, you will be notified about these uh, live show events. You can get in there and uh, you can make comments uh, on the uh, the show as it's going on. You can get into the chat room if you're an xjtalk.com member and chat with other people during the show, other people that have Jeep Cherokees like you. And, hey, even if you don't have a Jeep Cherokee, maybe you got a Wrangler, maybe you got a, a, a CJ, maybe you got a Toyota, and you just want to hear about four-wheel drive stuff and uh, too bad it's about Jeep Cherokees, but that's the way it goes. Come join us. Yep, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, and like Tony said, give us a five-star review on on uh, iTunes. And always, as always, we enjoy hearing your guys' comments and, uh, and feedback. Give us a call at our voicemail line, 530-675-4102.